Welcome to All Things Pilates, Season 4. Though we can't know exactly what Joseph Pilates was thinking or feeling towards the end of his life, we do know he wanted the entire world to practice contrology, and that want has certainly become a reality. Hello everyone, I'm Darian Gold, and here on All Things Pilates, we discuss the man, the method, and how his genius continues to influence and inspire. Our guest today is Jennifer DeLuca, owner of Body Tonic Pilates Gymnasium in Brooklyn, New York. Jennifer began her Pilates life in 1985 at the esteemed High School for the Performing Arts in New York City. Part of the curriculum was a semester of the Pilates mat under the tutelage of Nancy Butler. Not exactly wowed by Pilates, Jennifer couldn't have anticipated how her love of dance and movement would intersect with the Pilates method. After graduating with honors, Jennifer continued to dance and perform, but like many dancers, earning a living wasn't easy. So in 1993, she took a desk job at People Magazine. Needing a place to work out during her lunch hour, Jennifer learned from a dancer friend that she was teaching Pilates at Drago's gym, just a quick walk from her Midtown office. There, she was introduced to, as she puts it, the mother of classical Pilates, Romana Krizanowska. The lunchtime classes helped Jennifer reconnect to her dancer body. It also gave her a new insight into the power of Pilates, and as a consequence, she enrolled in Romana's program and certified in 1996. Jennifer started teaching Pilates out of her Brooklyn apartment, and three years later opened her commercial space, Body Tonic Pilates Gymnasium. Her goal was to create a supportive, communal space that welcomed everyone interested in health and fitness. And as Jennifer says, if you can get through the door, you can have a lesson. Which isn't far from what Joe Pilates said, a healthy body is your birthright. But his quote would be tested when Jennifer discovered a lump in her breast and was diagnosed with breast cancer July of 2020. Learning she had the BRCA gene, Jennifer made the hard decision to have a double mastectomy, and so began her journey of isolation, surgeries, and chemotherapy. She credits the support of her staff, clients, and her own Pilates practice for helping her return to health. Today, Jennifer has no known cancer, and she and her business, Body Tonic, are thriving. For those who are dealing with any kind of health issue, I think you will find this interview very inspiring. Hello, Jennifer. Welcome to All Things Pilates. Hi, Darian. Thank you for having me. You are very welcome. It's nice to see you. Jennifer, the High School for the Performing Arts is such a famous school. How did you get accepted and what was it like to study there? Wow. It was a bit of work to get accepted. They have an audition process that includes a callback. You know, first you have to go through the first cut. And then if you make it to the first cut, then you have to make it through the second cut. 
And even after that, you have to wait around for this letter that says that you're accepted. The letter that I received, I believe, said that 3,000 kids had auditioned to get into the high school for the performing arts. And at the time, there were only 50 kids accepted for dance, 50 kids accepted for drama, and 50 kids accepted for music. My family was very excited when I got this letter, and so was I. Very exciting. 3,000? 3,000 kids. I think it's even more now. I mean, I think it's even harder to get in at this point. But one thing my father did, which I thought was very sweet, was that he told me going into it, he said, you know, you can audition, but if you get in, you're not allowed to go. And I think he told me that just in case if I didn't get in, like I wouldn't be heartbroken because I wasn't going to be able to go anyway. But once I was accepted, I think he realized how esteemed it was. And I'll just say it was some of the best time in my life. Um, It was very challenging at times, four periods of dance a day. So a lot of experience with your body, a lot of time, you know, looking at your body, analyzing your body, trying to perfect form, doing that up against your peers in the room, looking in the mirror all the time. Um, And we studied ballet and gram technique. And I think at that moment, that was when I really understood how much I loved movement and loved analyzing movement and loved watching other people move. Which technique did you gravitate towards, uh, ballet or modern? Uh, well, modern, well, Graham was so new to me. It was so foreign and, um, and difficult, very, very challenging. And I think what is what a lot of people don't know about Graham technique right away is that the first 45 minutes of the technique is done actually seated on the floor. So you are right away forced to contend with the craft of moving from your pelvis up and without your legs. <laughs> and mostly your back, your spine, your neck. You know, Martha had an incredible voc- vocabulary for those uh, body parts. And I was used to doing grand jetés and pirouettes and kicking and, you know, doing all the things that you do in, ba- you do in ballet class. Yeah. And, and, and jazz. And, you know, it was really a tricky transition to do that. So I graduated more toward the ballet at first. I really loved the structure of ballet. And the gram technique was really like uh, a slow burn. But boy, <laughs> am I like I'm a Martha. Powerful. I, I am known for sending Martha's autobiography to people as a gift. Because oh, um, yes. she is just one of I my, have that. my true yes. idols. Yeah, blood memory. Yes, yes. And then Pilates came into your world, which is sort of interesting because the Graham technique, because it's so focused on the pelvis. Mm. And then you you learned initially the the mat work by Nancy Butler. And I'm sorry to say, I don't know who she is. Could you tell us who she was or is? So I guess, you know, Nancy Butler was a modern dancer. She was just a temporary uh, faculty member at LaGuardia High School. Now it's called LaGuardia High School um, at Performing Arts. So she just was visiting for a year. Um, She taught modern dance class to us. I believe she might have taught Lamone also. Oh, So so we had, you know, a little exposure to that. And I think she realized that the Pilates method would be very valuable to us. And so she taught us the, the, the mat work. And I just remember thinking like, oh God, 
This is so hard. <laughs> and, you know, when I first got accepted into performing arts, the head of the department at the time said I should do Zena Romet floorboard. Yes. For anybody who knows what that is, Zena Romet was a friend of the head of the dance department and came personally. And I'm trying to remember the name. I hope I remember the name of the prince of the head of the dance department. Uh, uh oh. Yeah, it'll come to me. But anyway, okay. Lydia Joel. Lydia Joel. And actually, I found a letter, just as a side thing, that Carola Trier had written to Lydia Joel in Carola's letters in the library. So Lydia Joel was, was ensconced in the whole healthy movement thing. But I was uh, lucky enough to do floorboard with Zena Romet as a freshman. So I was 13, very disciplined movement vocabulary. And then um, a couple of years later, was exposed to Pilates and had a similar feeling about it. I knew it was good for me. It was hard. It revealed my imbalances immediately, which, of course, when you're like 15 or 16, you, you don't want to hear it. You don't want to hear it, but it was, it was really, it was really healthy. And, you know, I would say when it was gone, you know, it was gone from the schedule. I wasn't like, oh, darn, you know, I'm really going to miss that Pilates. But Nancy Butler was like, I don't remember too much about her because we had so much exposure to so many things and so many different people and artists at the, at, at the fame school. But Pilates did make its mark on my body and it was, you know, unforgettable. Fast forward to your work life. Now we're talking 1993, because as you and I both know, trying to earn a living as a performer, acting, singing, dancing, one or all three is very, is just challenging. It was hard when I was in New York. It was not, not easy at all. And you took this job, a desk job at People Magazine. I'm sure you met lots of different kinds of colorful people. <laughs> but well, Drago, I work. Yeah, go ahead. No, but Drago's gym was down the street, and you you needed a place to work out during your lunchtime. So it seemed like a perfect fit. Is that when you knew about Romana? Are you? How did Romana come into your world? So, um, well, in between high school and People Magazine, I went to NYU and I studied dance education and dance and anatomy and kinesiology. And one of the women who was in the dance education program with me was Roxanne Richards. At the time, I knew her as Rox, she last name. Um, I knew her as Rocky, but we had crossed paths in the dance education program at New York University. And then I was at People Magazine and I was talking with a coworker about how I really wanted to do Pilates because I can't fit dance classes in my lunch hour and my body feels terrible sitting at a desk. And this coworker said, oh, you have to go see my trainer, Rocky. And I was like, did not know that Roxanne had moved on to doing Pilates and I said, okay, great. You know, like, give me her number. I would love, I would love to do that. And I said, I'd only done the mat work and I didn't know about the equipment or whatever. And she said, well, it's just a hop, skip and a jump away. It's, you know, right. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I walk into Dragos. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll never forget the moment of having my feet in the straps for leg circles. On, on, the, on the reformer. On the reformer. And I just... I, that was that was the epiphany. That was the moment that I knew that I was swept up in something that I didn't quite understand yet. It was that moment. There was something about how my body was, you know, relating to gravity, 
plus the spring at the same time, there was something about having to sense my dominant and non-dominant side simultaneously with resistance, but again, without the gravitational thing happening and feeling my pelvic stability. And I just, I don't know that it was leg circles. It just, just did it. That was it. Twice a week. I was at Drago's gym. You know, it was very different there at that time. You would make, you wouldn't even really make an appointment. I would just say to Roxanne, like, okay, I can do Tuesdays and Thursdays. And she would be like, great, I'm here during that time. And I could walk in and be lucky enough to have her to myself. Or I could walk in and there would be like an 82 year old, you know, hip replacement person on the Cadillac. And I would be on the reformer going, you know, what's next? And she'd say, semicircle. And I'd say, is that the one where your hips dip into the rock? Like, you know, we would call, I would call sexy dancer or whatever, you know, <laughs> like, so I just, it just called to me. And, and so during the time that I was training with Roxanne, Romana would be leaving a lot of the time when I would be arriving. So cross paths with the legend, there were pictures all over the place that were so fun to look at. And then one day, uh, I was working with Roxanne and she said, you know, the teacher training's coming up. And I said, really, you know, really, I could become a teacher. And she said, yeah, she's like, you should do it. It would be like a fish returning to the water. She was so encouraging to me. And I was like, sign me up, sign me up. So then I started to spend more time with Romana, obviously, because Romana taught all the seminars. I was always raising my hand to demonstrate. Me too. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'll, I'll try it, you know. And I just loved the energy of those seminars with her. She was tireless. I did a few sessions with her, but really I would wanted to watch or teach. Like that would be my thing. I would go before work sometimes. I'd be there at seven in the morning. Yes. Yeah. And it was just like this unbelievable lucky thing. And at the time, People Magazine was reimbursing for educational programs. So they actually paid for half of my teacher training, which was another amazing thing. Very amazing. Skipping ahead after your certification in 1996. So it took you like, you started in 1993. I did a year of training twice a week as a client. Nice. I had, sometimes I had Roxanne, sometimes I had Pam. People who were familiar with Drago. Yeah, I remember Pam. Pam. I had Edwina. Edwina yes. was amazing. And Jeannie was another friendly face there. Shari sometimes. Romana's daughter. But a lot of times they had left. Shari and Romana a lot of times had left by the time that I arrived there. But Roxanne was really my greatest influence um, during that time, for sure. So I did a year as a client, which I always recommend people do. Nowadays, people want to do teacher training. They're just like, hi, I heard you did teacher. And like, have you ever done Pilates before? Like, no. I'm like, well, I really think you should train twice a week first. And then let's- At least. Yeah. For like a year, you know, at least six months. I mean, I just, I don't know. Anyway. Well, because those of us who have been practicing forever, we make it look easy. And as we know, it is not easy to get to the point where it is effortless. Yeah. So people stepping in don't understand the depth required and the focus and the discipline. So jumping into a, a program is asking a lot of yourself, even if you have a strong dance background, it's a completely different vocabulary and mindset 
and experience in the body. I, I agree with you whole, wholeheartedly, especially the mindset part, because I always feel that when I'm teaching a teacher who is a very advanced mover or, you know, a very evolved mover in some way, somewhere in the middle of the program, they burst into tears because they realize all the misconceptions they had then and how much more there is for them to learn. And they really thought they were going to be done by then. And I say, this is why it's a 500 hour experience, you know, or more experience. More. Yeah. So, and I, and I always remind new teachers, like, this is just the beginning, you know, just, just getting your piece of paper Mm -hmm. or whatever is just the beginning. Really. It's the, it's Mm -hmm. vocabulary to go on and develop really is, is what it is. And I was very lucky to have Roxanne as a teacher because, you know, she's such one of those, she's one of those quiet masters that are out there that like isn't all over Instagram. And if you're lucky enough to come across her and her teaching, like don't pass it up. Is she in New York? I think she's in Seattle now. I think she's on the West Coast and I think she's in Washington State somewhere. Okay, good to know. Yeah. You start teaching Pilates out of your apartment. You you get apparatus from Oh, Steve Giordano. <laughs> oh, Steve. Okay, wow. Yeah, from him before he became peak, before Julie stepped yes. in. Actually, I think before Julie, Julie. I think Julie stepped in because I was freaking out on the delivery process with Steve. But what great equipment. Oh my gosh. It was like met, you know, really great measurements. I still have a lot of the equipment. I sold a bunch of it, but I, I bought equipment from Steve Jordan. Unfortunately, Peak, now owned by Mad Dog Athletics, yeah. I believe, have completely changed the design and specifications. And there goes the Pilates technique. When the equipment's different, it's different. It's not to say it's bad. It's just, it's just different. Yes. And that's, that's putting it kindly. Okay. So, (laughs) so you're teaching out of your apartment, you're gaining a reputation. People are coming to you. Their Mm -hmm. lives are being blown apart. And then Mm -hmm. a space opens up because you know that you want to grow more. Mm -hmm. What was that like? And then how did it get its name actually? Oh my gosh. So, oh, so many, so many things. So while I started out of my apartment within a year, I wanted the equipment out of my apartment. So I rented a garden level apartment in my building. I actually just moved the equipment out downstairs into the bottom floor of a brownstone. And which was great because then people would walk by and be like, what is going on <laughs> in there? Right. Cause back then in 1990, like seven, 1998, it was, you know, no, it was like, what's going on there? But it was that, you know, the same thing as word of mouth. You know, you didn't have Instagram then or anything like that. And so it was word of mouth. So somebody told their friend, who told their husband, who told their mother, who told their coworker, who told their whatever. And I was just, I mean, I could, I was, I, sometimes I had clients at six in the morning. Sometimes I had clients at nine o'clock at night. Da, da, da. So I did, I moved into the garden level apartment. Within two years, I had come into contact with like a couple of other women who were actually also wanting to build clientele and they had some equipment. And so actually the lease was taken over by the three of us at the time. Body tonic 
and and I was I wound up being the last woman standing. One woman went and did something else. Another one moved to New Jersey, and then all of a sudden I was left with the lease. So that's that's a story in and the survival of that is a story in and of itself. But the name Body Tonic, Romana used to say all the time that uh, people would ask Joe like, "What is this good for?" And he would say, "It's, it's good for the for body." Tomorrow. Yeah. And so when I was thinking of how to express Pilates, I was like, it's just, it's, it's just, it's just good for your body. Like, it's just good for your, it's just good stuff for your body. And I was trying to think of like, well, what is something that's like some good stuff for your body? And I was like, oh, like drinking a tonic. And then I looked up the word tonic and it was like, more rich than I thought it was. It was like having an invigorating effect, toning up the muscles. Like it had all these definitions. And I was like, oh, that's it, body tonic. And then fast forward to like six months ago, I'm reading a quote in the Pilates pamphlet that Kathy Strack now sells. You can probably find it in the New York Public Library too, but it's a wonderful thing. I'm so glad I bought it. And, you know, and I buy it for gifts all the time. But William Herman, the famed mm-hmm. opera singer coach, mm-hmm. Joe, actually uses the phrase body tonicity in that, in that pamphlet. It says body tonicity, which blew my mind that like I had this other connection to the body tonic thing. So I'm very happy with the name. (laughs) It's endured. And I think also I was leaving myself open to do other forms of exercise at the time because I was just like a movement lover. But I quickly learned after opening the studio that other things we were doing like martial arts or yoga, or I did something called diverse conditioning, that we were really Pilates expert. Like it was a specialty. 100%. I didn't need all those other things. So I, within a year, they were all gone. Yeah, they really can't hold a candle once you dig in. You find the depth and what is revealed within your own body. And then your eyes become more sensitive and tuned into your clients' bodies. And then it's you start over again. Yeah, start over again. It's a constant unpeeling of the layers. And it's a constant development. And we're always, we're always developing. You know, and that was one of the inspiring things about Dragos. It was really the older people in the room at the time, I was maybe 20. I don't, I don't want to do the math, but, you know, I was in my twenties and, you know, I just remember, uh, this one woman, we, I think we talked about her before, you know, she was in the dance, the old dance skin leotards of the rough material with the scoop neck. And she had pigtails like Olga Corbett and like a white fan, like Bjorn Borg. And, you know, she was, definitely over 60, you know, I don't, I don't want maybe, you know, maybe she was 70. I don't know how, but she'd be swinging from Olympic rings, you know, after her lesson, she would be doing the candle on the Cadillac and splits and, you know, and I I just want to be like that. I want to be like that. We see that with, I see that with my clients now that have been coming, you know, since I had equipment in my living room, 25, 26 years ago. That there's no limit. There's no limit. And they're, they really are constantly developing. You know, there's, a reason why they'll all of a sudden get into the foot corrector. You know, they never really got into the foot corrector. Now they're there. They never really wanted to do the flip with the fuzzies, but now they do. Or maybe they stop doing those things and they're finding the nuance and some of the simpler exercises. So there was so much to unearth within the Pilates method 
that there was no reason to do those other things. And I was also, we were sort of educating, we were realizing we were educating people's bodies to go outside and do all kinds of other movement modalities. They were taking up tennis again or ballroom dancing or, you know, just rediscovering their physical selves through this method. So let them go do all those other things. Mm, That's beautiful. Yes. Then 2020 comes around and the pandemic rains down on all of us, especially in New York City. Oh my goodness. And not only do you have to deal with this COVID nightmare, but you discover a lump in your breast. Will you take us through what that moment was like? And also, had you ever heard of the BRCA gene? I I knew that uh, Angelina Jolie you know, her story. She had a BRCA mutation and, you know, put, went public with her decision to have her breasts removed. So even at the first mentioning of it, it didn't occur to me when it was mentioned to me. But then a, a friend of mine said to me, oh, you and Angelina Jolie. And I was like, oh, right. Now I remember that that news story about her. So, I mean, it was just ironically, like my mammogram had been scheduled like in April of 2020 was canceled and it was like July, you know, 1st of 2020. And I woke up in the morning, I was stretching my arms, you know, like, like people doing a cartoon stretching my arms in the morning. And I just, I had this feeling of like, when your milk comes in, when you're breastfeeding, like I had the this feeling of the milk coming in when I breastfed my kids. And I was like, that's really weird. My kids are like 16, 16 and 14. You had that sensation when you were stretching your arm. Yeah. I was like, Ooh, that's weird. This, my boob feels like it's filling with milk. And I went and touched and I just instinct, you know, instinctively just touched my breast. And I was like, uh, uh, what's that? And I poked around a little more and I was like, that is a lump. And I shot out of bed and went directly to the phone. And I called my gynecologist because she's usually the one that's on top of the mammograms. I, I dealt with it immediately. That was my way of dealing with it. I like didn't wait more than, I don't even think I'd made my coffee. I was like out of bed and on the phone. And she was like, come in tomorrow. You give me my first appointment tomorrow. So I went in the next day. She was like, it's definitely there. I'll never forget. I was, she was like, you have to come in. We can get you a mammogram in two days. I'll never forget. I was actually supposed to go to Fire Island that day. And I booked the appointment. I didn't want to let my kids down. So I booked the appointment for super early in the mornings and drove into the city, drove back and went to the ferry that day. But I went in, got the mammogram and, you know, within, they were like, yeah, there's something here and the biopsy, da, 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 da couple weeks later, they were like, it was confirmed. It was cancer. And, you know, I went through and I said, again, I'm one of those people kind of faces things head on. So I was like, okay, what does this mean? What do I have to do? And by August 20th, the surgery had been completed. So it was a very fast and disorienting whiplash of a situation. You know, I'm not, I'm not talking about the MRIs. You have to do the MRI the MRI biopsies, you have to to be in an MRI machine with a needle in your body. And it's, you know, you're thinking about your kids, you think about your work, you think about how you spent your life. I mean, it's just like the end of the summer, COVID. I mean, it was just, just, you know, it was just mind blowing. 
You know, and I'm, I am a really head on kind of person. So I think at the time I wasn't really dealing with the neg- the afflictive emotions of sadness and anger and things like that very much. I just remember at one point walking into Perlmutter Cancer Center, because, you know, you have this appointment, that appointment, this appointment, they tell you of the BRCA2 mutation and they're like, oh, now you're high risk for ovarian cancer. We have to remove your ovaries. We have to do this. We have to do that. You need this appointment, that appointment. So, you know, you feel like you need a concierge at all times to kind of read everything back to you because you're sort of hearing it like you're underwater. It's kind of like, what? Wait, this is me. This is my life. And I just remember walking in one day, you know, they have to take your temperature everywhere you go because of COVID. And the one, the nurse was taking my temperature and I just burst into tears. And I, you know, I just couldn't believe that I was in the cancer area. And there are a lot of very sick people there. So it's upset. You know, it's a lot to take in. But I made my way through it. I hadn't, I hadn't really sunk in about the drug, but apparently like my mom is part Ashkenazi Jew and this is like really common in that lineage and they found precancerous cells in the other breast anyway. So it was a good decision to do what I did, but it wasn't easy. I'm still dealing with it. You know, I'm still coming to terms with this change, you know, in my life and my body. Did you bring in what you had learned in the Pilates method just psychologically? A hundred percent. You know, I was aware, you know, Pilates is complete coordination of body, mind, and spirit. And for those of us who've danced and I've, so my whole life, I've gotten so much from my body. It's helped me to focus. It's helped me to get endorphins. It's helped me to feel proud and when you get a diagnosis like that, you're kind of stripped of that identity. I felt myself getting extremely depressed. Also, it was very isolating because it was COVID and people knew I was going to the hospital and they didn't want to be around me. They didn't want to be around my children, actually, because they were afraid that I was bringing COVID to my kids. And so it was a Cancer is isolating enough, but it was very, very isolating. Yes. I still had a, a number of friends who were doing amazingly kind and wonderful things and visiting me, but a bunch of them weren't, you know, weren't. And, um, you know, it, it was just a, a little bit of a, you and I talked about it. If I could say like a mind bleep, there's a little bit of mind bleep. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, family, family show here. I use the F-bomb all the time, but I've been a good girl on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, so it was a complete mind fuck, everybody. It was a complete mind fuck. So, so I just remember looking at my daughter one day and, you know, crying with tears in my eyes. And I said to her, I'm really depressed and I'm going to do something about it. I'm not sure what it is yet, but I just want you to know that I'm going to be okay. And I'm just having a really hard time. And I, at first they give you counselors and stuff. So I was talking to a counselor and they put me on some prescription and I took it for like four days and I was like, I cannot do this. I cannot, this is not happening. Like it was, I felt lobotomized. So I no longer had the energy to, and I couldn't sleep. So they gave me like antidepressants that would help me sleep, but it took away my urge to walk or to get on the mini trampoline or to, you know, cause I wasn't going to the studio either. I was afraid of what I might get if I left knowing I just had surgery and was going to do chemo. I was also staying home and not around people. So I was like, you know, jump roping and doing the mini trampoline and just basically doing anything I could do in my little Brooklyn apartment. 
And I realized I needed something for my mind, that the drugs weren't going to do it. And luckily enough, I had been asked pre-pandemic to teach at Wanderlust, which is a big health festival um, to teach Pilates. And I had met a yoga nidra teacher, which is basically fancy terminology for training your nervous system to go into restorative mode instead of active. And so I did, I signed up for a workshop to uh, learn better rest techniques. Um, and how this relates to Pilates is, of course, you know, when we go into a lot of Joe's writing, he does, he talks so much about rest and how important it is to rest. So in magazine articles, he talks about it. In Return to Life, he talks about it. In Your Health, he talks about it. He talks about overstimulation and so, and zest and pleasure. And actually within the realm of yoga nidra, they talk about not only rest, but the bliss body and finding joy. When you're in a place where it's so dark, it's really important to remember that somewhere in there still exists bliss and joy and delight and curiosity. All those things still exist, but it's just harder to feel them. Mm. Yes. Yes. I lost that completely when I was really sick with COVID. I felt that. I mean, yeah. Pil Pilates and did Pilates help you too? Did it help you? I couldn't actually do a lot of Pilates. I had to do yoga because it was there was too much pressure. I would have all these flares in my lungs and then I couldn't breathe again. So it was too, it was just, I only know how to work deep and I couldn't work deep. I didn't understand my body. So yoga saved me first for like the first year. Mm. I'm certified to teach yoga too. I love the partnership of the two modalities together. And who knows, I might not have even taken that yoga nidra class at Wanderlust had I not been like open to that. Pilates gave me that vocabulary and it gave me the, you know, that understanding that sometimes you show up and you go and you do something not knowing what the results are going to be, but be, because you know it's a practice and the practice will take you however you show up. It takes you if you're nauseous, it takes you if you're tired, it takes you if you're at your peak so really, you just have to be open and show up. And of course, we have like the arm weight series and the castanets that Ramana taught us. And so that philosophy that like, there's always a part of you that there's a toe corrector, there's a hand, you know, there's a hand tensometer, there's a breathalyzer, you know, there's, there are so many ways that Joe was seeking to have a window into the body. He right. wanted to heal the infirm. It wasn't just, Ramana always said Pilates was, is for the normal healthy body. And I think that's really important for teachers to hear in a teacher training program that these exercises that we were covering, <laughs> you know, weren't just for anyone. There's also all of that peripheral work that when you become a teacher and you're immersed more in the work that you start to learn the nuances of and you can really use. So I definitely was like, even just right out of surgery, I was doing things with my toes. I was doing things with my fingers because the one thing I wasn't going to let myself do was cut myself off mentally from body parts. And I could see how women after experiencing this would want to pretend it never happened, would want to never look in the mirror and see themselves differently. But I was committed to kind of living in my reality and working with what was working. In my hospital bed, 
eyes open and tapping my thumb to my pinky finger, tapping my thumb to my index finger, tapping, you know, taking deep breaths, <laughs> you know, just like. Were you able to take a deep breath? Your lungs were not. I mean, I kind of knew that didn't feel right. This feels right. This is what I could do now. This is what I, but you know, they give you that little. The spirometer. Yeah. They give you that, you know, spirometer and. I did that, but I I really didn't care what number I was getting to. I just wanted to get to where I felt more like me. So that intuitive piece of Pilates is also really with you too. Like when you do the practice and you're really, it's more about you getting more in touch with your own body. Like I have one mirror at Body Tonic and it's right outside the bathroom. So you can look at what you look like when you leave. (laughs) I I really want people to be inside. So were you bandaged? for a long time I had drains that like were with me for quite some time so I think it was I want to say it was like six weeks I mean it was a long it was like six weeks I remember counting down the weeks and I going in and being like I thought you told me in two weeks I could remove these and they're like "Mm, sorry you know so I remember there was school shopping to do for my kids because apparently they were thinking they'd be back in school I was in Staples with my drains and like remember I remember huddling in a corner like please don't anybody bump into me please don't anybody you know because like the world didn't it doesn't stop it doesn't stop when you're not well no at some point I know when I initially read about your breast cancer diagnosis besides sending you you know love and healing I thought about Eve Gentry's story about her going to Joe after she had had a mastectomy. Did her story take on a different meaning for you? And if so, how? Well, it was definitely good to have a powerful role model, someone that I could relate to. Because when Angelina Jolie's name came up, I was like, oh, great. You know, what is, is that supposed to make me feel better? Because it doesn't. It definitely impacted me and even making the decision like whether to have implants or not like it definitely came through my mind that she didn't and you know that was her decision and or or maybe at the time it wasn't possible to have implants I'm not even sure I just remember you know seeing videos of her moving beautifully her looking very feminine uh in her black leotard her bravery and courage in fully inhabiting that and showing the strength of her body despite something negative befalling it because that can happen in many in many different ways there are lots of injuries that people can have in their lives that could or a diagnosis that someone can have that can impact them their body to still see yourself as someone who's athletic and powerful and adept we're so lucky to have footage online yeah. of Joe and Eve him working with her. Did you do any of those exercises like the pedipole? Absolutely. All the time. I mean, all the time. And when I first got my d- diagnosis, the, <laughs> what I said was, I just said, I just want to know, am I going to be able to do a handstand? Like whatever I need to do to be able to make sure that my arms can get in line with my head and that I can do a backbend or a handstand. That's my thing. Every doctor who met me knew that I was a Pilates person and that I, I needed to be able to do these things. Did they assure you? 
Did any doctor said, yes, you'll be able to stand on your hands? Yeah, yeah. They they said, I, I, you know, I think you'll be able to do that. I think you'll be able to do that. They would say things to me like, I mean, you're not going to have any feeling there. You might lose all feeling here and you might lose all feeling there. And, you know, after the surgery, I'd say to them, like, I can totally feel here. I mean, does that mean I'm going to get feeling back here? Because they, they would say you're going to lose feeling under your armpit. And um, and I'd be like, I have feeling into my armpit. They're like, well, okay, that's good. Wow. Okay. Like they were a little surprised. So I do think that they're not accustomed to the level of things that I can do and how quickly I could do them. In your recovery. My recovery just was like astonishing to them, like astonishing to them. So when you first have the mastectomy, you don't get your implants right away if you have to do chemo. So I had to do the surgery, chemotherapy, and then six months later, another surgery to get implants. But I never stopped moving throughout that whole time. I never stopped moving. That six-month period where I was doing the chemo, I was going to the studio and I was using the pedipole. I was moving my arms around and not treating myself like a diseased person or anything. You know, I was, I was cancer-free. So you did rowing. You did all the rowing. I did the rowing. I did, I mean, little by little, but my arms were really, it's the range of motion, bringing your, your humerus bone up in line with your ear and taking your humerus bone behind you. That is a big stretch. So starting, I really, it really was the, I credit everything, the arm weight series. It was doing that as early as possible. That made the biggest one pound or two pounds, two pounds, first, nothing. And then two pounds. And I, I'm doing my handstands and, you know, there were people who saw me within that time too, and saw me move and were like, oh my God, you know, like even seeing Jillian Hessel recently. And and she's just like, I cannot believe that you went through that. It's just a testament to, you know, regular practice and not getting discouraged and just moving with what's available at the time. And that was something Romani used to say too. She would say, if it doesn't agree with you, leave it out Mm -hmm. and work with what's working. Just getting the message, my body is healthy from footwork is helping me heal my upper body. Starts at the feet. Anything you're doing where you feel athletic or capable or you're sending blood through your body is healing. And I think it's really important. We deal with this as teachers all the time where you get a client who comes in and they, even if they, let's just say they just started, this happened to me recently. I had a client who just started, uh, had three kids, you know, had had not spent time taking care of herself for a while, was coming back, was really gung-ho, was just, had just started doing Pilates, was feeling really good. Then her sons wanted her to play this boxing Wii game and she went bananas on it and woke up the next morning and her back hurt. And she was so discouraged. And I was like, I'll tell you what Drago used to say to me. He'd say like, or whoever was in the gym, you know, might've gotten hurt at any time. He'd say, eh, you work out, you get hurt sometimes. Like just letting those moments pass and knowing that they're going to pass. It's just a moment in time. We have to hold that space for our clients all the time. That leads me to my last question, which is in our pre-interview, you talked about how wellness takes time and that resilience is 
such a vital part of finding your body again. And this is part of what you're saying now, right? Resilience comes naturally to some people. Some people are resilient people. They bounce back quickly from things. Sometimes those resilient people are resilient in some situations, but not others. Sometimes there's a situation where that resilience just, that characteristic resilience is under duress and it's not coming forth. But Pilates really gives you the tools to be resilient. It is giving your body the ability to bounce back. I think I am a resilient person. Like I mentioned to someone that you, a friend of mine who's not actually a Pilates person. She happens to be a yoga person, but she's a dear, dear, dear friend of mine. I said, you know, that you had reached out and you wanted to do this podcast. And I said, you know, I feel like it's so much about, um, my journey was so much about resilience. And she said to me, oh my God, resilience is your middle name. And you can think back to like having the studio during a recession, 9-11, COVID. So that's all part of that too, being resilient. I, and I think I'm a resilient person, but I think it's really resilient. Is, being resilient is an outgrowth of the time and energy that you put into. Anxiety can take over. Sadness can take over. And I think anxiety and sadness are good things. I mean, I think anxiety gets your button gear sometimes, right? Like it's not, it's not like it's, those things are bad, but how you deal with them is what's important. And I think the ability to bounce back has a lot to do with the connection of the mind and the body and the spirit, because one of those components is under stress at a difficult time or all three, right? So we need to pull out the one that we we can access. If it's going for a run or getting on the reformer, do that. If it's having a good cry or talking to a friend or getting quiet or whatever it is, or, or listening to good music, or there's always a way in. And I will say about when you mentioned wellness, taking time in the conversation that we had, you know, there were times that people were like, they would say to me like, oh my God, you look so great. Like almost really perplexed that I had been through what I had been through and that I look so good. And I, I felt the need to say to them, yeah, I'm working really hard at that. I'm making a whole chicken and then I'm taking the carcass and I'm putting it in a crock pot and I'm making bone broth and I'm drinking bone broth, you know, once a day. That's one example. I'm doing the yoga nidra. I'm journaling. I'm meditating for 10 minutes every day. I'm doing whatever exercises are available to me. I'm healthy body is your birthright. As Joe was as quoted as saying, but it will diminish over time without putting the effort in. And have you thought about, have you written about your experience and all of the sage advice that you, you have now to impart to others? I kept a journal during that time and I did, I wrote a lot about what was going on. And then I, I just, I'm in the middle of a move, actually. So the journal is actually boxed up and put away, which I think is kind of a good thing. I'll go back to it when I unload the boxes and I'm sure it will come to me. You're not the first person to say that to me. So Timing. perhaps there's some, 
yeah, there's something there. And I know that uh, others have come to me during either a difficult time or even with the breast cancer situation and just asked if I would talk to a friend that is experiencing this. And I, I'm happy to do that now. I have to say during when I was going through it, I, I was not willing to talk about it, actually. I kind of like, and I think it's important actually to say this, that like part of what helped me to heal was that I literally closed myself in away from anything that was going to cause me unnecessary stress or what I was, I was very picky about what came into that cave and I made good choices. So that's really important for anybody out there who's, you know, needs to really focus on their health. It is perfectly okay to manage your privacy in whatever way you need. There's always time to apologize to somebody later if you didn't get back to them or you didn't tell them the whole story at the time or whatever it is. You need to really create that healing space around you and whatever way suits you. Um, So I wasn't ready at the time, but now I feel like if you would have asked me to do this podcast, then I would have said no, I'm sure. So, but now I feel like I have for whatever reason, it's it's settled a little better for me. Oh, and you have so much to offer others. Thank you. Appreciate that. Jennifer, I want to thank you so much for your time. If others feel moved or called to reach out to you, how do they? You can definitely reach us on our Instagram. I actually do the Instagram and I'm on it uh, frequently. So that's at Body Tonic Pilates. I think there's another body tonic somewhere else that's not in Brooklyn, New York. So at Body Tonic Pilates, you could also visit our website at body-tonic.com. And then you could email me, jennifer at body-tonic.com. Wonderful. Jennifer DeLuca, fabulous connecting with you again. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a true pleasure. All Things Pilates is produced, edited, and hosted by me, Darian Gold. Mastered audio mix by Fabian Romero. Theme music, soul, blues, piano shuffle by Boom Zoom. And a very special thank you to Beatrice Denice, my web designer, for designing my beautiful new website, which you can visit at your leisure, dariangold.com. You can see more of Beatrice's work on her website, denicedesign.de. Also, if you're liking this podcast, please consider writing a review. It won't cost you a penny, and you'll make me a happy host. To repeat Joe's words, Contrology is the complete coordination of body, mind, and spirit. And cancer is a scary word. We never know, do we? The best defense is to treat your body with the utmost respect and nourish it with the best possible foods, supplements, rest, and of course, a healing system like the Pilates method. Remember though, contrology is a very physical practice. So don't forget about the mind and spirit because they need attention and nurturing too, perhaps even more. As always, I remain in awe of Joe's work 
And I look forward to being with you again in a couple of weeks for another episode of All Things Pilates.